expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between, it's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Hard to believe it's already episode 87 of the Down and Nerdy podcast where, you know what, sometimes you just have one of those days where you've just got to hit Control-Alt-Delete. Yeah, well, especially because now it's, uh, you know, daylight savings time is over, so by 4 o'clock you feel like you're a failure because you feel like you haven't done anything at all. Like I, f- I feel like I'm in Gollum's cave now <laughs> every day at 4 o'clock. I don't know how this happens so the quickly. Is, it's the precious where's the sunlight i can't see it it's not the process it's it's hard man and i mean you're you, i'm already tired enough as it is and it makes you sleepy yeah. and you think oh gosh arrows on like five minutes oh no wait it's not on for another four hours or like you know i'm sitting in my apartment the other night I'm like oh god i didn't do anything on twitter and I'm like, well, what's right? It's four o'clock. And I don't take over Twitter until six. At down at Yep. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> but as always, I'm the Merc one. I'm Nick Battaglia alongside. I'm James I'm wonderful with confidant. Him. Well, you only, you only finished, man. You're I'm like, I'm about to say how much of a wonderful confidant and awesome person you are. And you're like, I'm James with him. You just barge in. Doors oh, blaze. Oh, wow. That's, that's quite the introduction. Yeah. Let's try it again, shall right. we? Yeah, let's do that. I am the wonderful, superfluous... Awesome Merkel one arm Nick Battaglia alongside the wonderful, the stunning, the goateed wearing James Witham. Oh yeah. <laughs> at James A. Switham on Twitter. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, we do that at the end of the show. Yeah. Yeah, well we'll take care of that. It's at the end opposite of the show. day. But I mean, we got a, we had a lot of great stuff last week, and talking about Wayward with Stephen Cummings and Tamara Bonville, and it's it's a great series. Hopefully, you've had a chance to to check it out. We've known that issue eleven is going to be coming out a little bit later on in the week, so we make sure you go on go ahead and get that because it was a great series. Oh, exactly. I mean, you know, at first, you know, we were talking about when we were reading reading it in the beginning, and it was a little bit weird in the beginning, but to, as you progressed, I mean, it was just. Amazing, and then oh no doubt about it. Tamara's colors were just fantastic, and Stephen's art was great. All the individual threads, and all, you know, it was it was kind of like I felt it's kind of like Japanese version of kind of like Constantine Hellblazer meets X Men, kind of. Yeah, something like that. I mean, the team just sort of starts coming together. It was really neat. So if you haven't had a chance to check out Wayward from Image Comics, definitely go do that. But boy, Nick, have we got a guest this week from one of the biggest video game franchises I think of all time. That's right, James, because this week we have Victoria Akin on the show, and she plays, of course, Evie Fry in the new Assassin's Creed Syndicate video game from Ubisoft, and, you know, she's going to be on there and uh, to talk to us about the game and some other projects she's working on, and I got to tell you, man, I've played Assassin's Creed Syndicate. It is an amazing, amazing game. It's so fun to sneak around, especially to play as Evie, because while there have been you know, other assassins and her female, she's the first major playable main character in the series. Yeah, and that's the cool thing. I mean, I know there's been a couple of other female assassins in some of the, you know, mobile games and stuff like that, but she's the first one in the main line that you could play as and just 
the fluidity of it and such going around Victorian London. It yes. just it all works so well. And of course, you can't get it on PC and it is available on Xbox One and on PS4, but you're gonna have to wait a little bit for PC. We'll give you that release date a little bit later on. But you actually went and ventured out and saw the Peanuts movie, right? I did. I went Saturday. No, Friday Friday. I went Friday to see the Peanuts movie. I went opening day to see a Peanuts movie. I went about little afternoon. And uh, I was probably one of six people in the theater. But again, it was a Friday at like noon. Everybody's yeah. at work. And I have the pleasure of working at night. That's the time to do it, man. I'm sorry. Oh, Go yeah. The movies during the day. It's I mean, cheaper. if I could do that now. Yeah. The theater's less crowded. You know, um, but yeah, I, I'll, I'll just say this right now. I know when we first talked about the trailer a while back, we had our fears. Like, okay, we don't want the, the music to be, you know, Today's hits and very music centric. That we want the old school classic, you know, piano and everything else. It's everything you wanted and more out of a Peanuts movie. And I say that like from the music to just. And I gotta say this: if Blue Sky doesn't win an Oscar for best animation or best animated film, it's a I'll, I'll riot because they created a new animation style. Like yes, it's. 3D animated animation, but it's really mixed with 2D animation in certain parts. Um, when you go see it, you'll see what I'm talking about. But when the cre- opening credits rolled and I heard that music, that, that classic Peanuts music, I wept in the theater. Aw, murky. Yes. I- <laughs> 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 I just got that. <laughs> if you don't get it, follow him on Twitter. <laughs> Hashtag Murky. Hashtag <laughs> Murky. Oh God! But I mean, I, no. I mean, I was just tearing up. And it was just tears of joy, and it was a really good film. And and the kid, they got all the, all kids to do the voices. And it's just, it was, it was great. It flowed well. And the director, I was reading an article about it. And the director was talking about how you know people would come to him with questions that were working on the film, like what should I do here, what should I do there, and his answer for everything was, go back to the comic strip. And that's a good answer. And it's a good answer. And like I said, when you, go, I can't give enough of an endorsement uh, because it's just that good. Go see Peanuts. I kind of want to see it again. Um, I'm sure. I mean, the way the, the way you were talking about it, and that's one thing we wanted. We wanted because you know that's. There are certain things that just hit at the center of your childhood oh, and yeah. you protect it a little bit more than some of the other stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we love from our childhood, but I think Peanuts is one of those things that I think that the Peanuts uh, Christmas special, the Charlie Brown Christmas special has a lot to do with that. But that's it's just, the- it's attached to you. It's a, it's like a part of you. So if that goes wrong, you take it a little bit harder, but when it goes well, you get that much more excited about it. And I think that's what's happening for you. And that's the beauty of the Peanuts thing. I love that you mentioned the Christmas special because you know that famous opening scene, the Christmas special, where Snoopy grabs Linus's blanket and he grabs mm-hmm. the answer? That happens in the movie. Oh, yes. Like, this movie has a lot of classic uh, scenes from many of the, your favorite old school Charlie Brown films. Excellent. So it's just a culmination of that, and it's just uh, it's a it's a fantastic film. Go see it. I mean, we had some feel good stuff come out already this week too. We had the Finding Dory trailer, which just dropped. I got a chance to look at that, and I don't know what it is about the Finding Nemo story. Yeah, that just makes me feel good. 
about pretty much everything in the world. But that's, I mean, and you've got Dory Sleep swimming, and that's, and that's funny. It's it's funny right off the bat. So I can't wait to see that either. I know we got a little bit of ways to, to go for that. But I think animation-wise, we're hitting on so many good movies right now, and that makes me feel good. Exactly. And speaking of animation, we're going to be talking about the Warcraft trailer later on in Geek Tam next. we got two new comics this week to discuss. That's right. It's what we're reading. It's coming next on Down and Nerdy. This is Stephen Cummings, comic book artist, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds. We pull out our long boxes. We discuss what we're reading this week. Of course, this week, as always, is sponsored by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards over on Aragon Boulevard in Virginia Beach, Virginia, near Town Center, actually. So if you're heading towards that way for a nice night out, go see Bob and see all the great comics and figures and art and shirts he has for yourself the nerds you love, and hey, future nerds as well. So, James, I believe I went first last week with Deadpool number one, so you went back to D.C. Yes, I did. I decided after a long absence I was going to go back to my D.C. roots, and something that actually kind of struck my eye as as was going to be an interesting book is Titan's Hunt from D.C., which is written by Dan Abnett, and the art is by Paulo Sequeira and Geraldo Borges. Hi-Fi does the colors, and as far as letters go, Carlos M. Manganula is going to do the colors. Now, this whole issue, uh-huh. and I'm not making fun of it, I swear, but it's kind of like the whole issue is a, I think, I rem- I think I'm forgetting to do something, or, hey, don't I know you from somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> it's like 32 pages of, ah, uh, you look familiar kind of thing. Right. But that's not necessarily a bad thing, because basically... They're going back to almost the original Titans. I'm not talking original by, you know, who they were created by in the 60s, but it's more like the 70s Titans, where you're talking about Dick Grayson was the leader of the Titans when he was still Robin and stuff yeah. like that. And I mean, I'll, t- I'll tell you right now that before I get into the story, uh, the Titans in this particular in this particular series is, is Wonder Girl, which is a.k.a. Donna Troy. You've got Robin, the Dick Grayson version. We've got Harold Hawk, Speedy, which is Roy Harper, Dove, Caveboy, and Aqualad. Oh, okay. So those are your Titans. We do see Raven as well, by the way. And and Lilith is in here too. And she's kind of the straw that stirs the drink a little bit later on in the issue. But what we're getting basically in the beginning here is it starts out with Roy and we get a little bit of a story with him and what's going on with him right now. Grayson, we get him and he is the Grayson from the series. So there's continuity there as well. Wait, is, he, is, he, uh, is he Spiral Grayson? Yes. Okay. And what's funny about this is You've got Batman and Robin Eternal. You've got Grayson. And now this, I'm like, wow, Dick's busy. Yeah. Uh, he's got he's a lot one, going he, on. He's one busy Dick. I know. That Dick gets around. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I mean, it, it, he's kind of the one that Lilith comes to. And, oh, of course, you know, she does astral protection. So yeah. um, she kind of comes to him and says, hey, this is up to you kind of thing. So, again, it's up to Dick Grayson to kind of find out what's going on. But nobody has any memory of, of each other and the Titans like Nar and uh, Roy meet up in a certain town, but they don't know who each other are, but they were on the Titans together. So something's going on. They've lost their memory somehow. And we need to try and figure out what's going on. By the way, astral projections, best thing to do with those, take some like PCP or LSD and just watch them go. I don't even think anybody does that anymore. I think that was like a sixties thing. You'd be surprised. Well, that's when the Titans were created. So, Hey, maybe, yeah. um, by the way, Aqualad is a badass in really? this book. Yeah. I mean, I know that that's not a, that's not something you usually say out loud, but, uh, he's a badass. I gotta say in this, this book. You know, we've seen what John's did with Aquaman. Now what they're doing now with Aqualad. 
isn't it kind of a great thing to see that like these two characters who are kind of like the I don't say whipping boys, punch but just lines. the punchlines. Punch yeah, yeah. they were the ones that got mocked a lot, you know, in the comics. And uh, isn't it kind of great to kind of see them now be turned to badasses and just get this whole one eighty of a character? It really does. Now, I will say that this whole first issue is basically a setup. So, I mean, just be prepared for that when you go ahead and try out the series. Uh, Lilith plays a big role in this, and she seems to be the only one that remembers what's going on, but we don't know yet. Apparently, that is going to happen in later issues. We're going to find out pretty quickly why they lost their memory and everything. So, mm-hmm. I am looking forward to that. By the way, you say setup. Does it mean like there's long bubbles of dialogue, or is it just kind of like. I mean, um, I, know you said, I, mean I know you said it's more like, hey, I know you from this thing but is it more kind of just like long pieces of dialogue uh no the dialogue's not long at all it's more i mean there's plenty of action in this book for sure okay so um don't be worried about that but i mean the the way that uh abnet kind of structures the story it moves it forward it doesn't feel like like a zero issue where you're going oh come on get to the point already sorry to cut you off but just from what i'm being you're telling me it, it feels like this this book is kind of a not bounce off, but kind of like, okay, you have Teen Titans Go, which is a very kids-like show on TV. Mm-hmm. So, like, we want something that's serious, something that's badass, something that, you know, people who are of an older age can enjoy, and it's what it seems like. Well, this is kind of breathing new life into a group that's kind of needed it right. in, in, in recent years. Like, the new 52 Teen Titans, I know there's some people that liked it. I wasn't a huge fan. I thought it was just kind of okay. I think this is kind of a way to at least tease that we might be getting the gang back together a little bit from the 70s that everybody seemed to love. Okay. So, I mean, I think that that's kind of, we're not, it's like we're not telling you for sure, but we're just saying, hey, you're telling me there's a chance. Right. So that's exactly what's kind of going on here. The art, even though it's done by two different people, is phenomenally consistent. I don't know if these guys sat down and had a chat or something, but uh, it's definitely very, very consistent. So that's not something you typically see with two different artists on the same book. And I mean, the way it ends, it's intriguing. And if you're a Titans fan, I think you'll be jacked for this. And and I've never been a huge Teen Titans fan, but I've always liked them. And I got to say, for me, it's a pull. I'm ready. I'm in. Oh, that's, that's, wow. I mean, it's probably your first pull in how many weeks? Well, and not only that, I mean, I keep, you know how you keep trying certain characters or groups of right. characters? And you're like, I want this to work so bad. That was me with the Teen Titans. I'd pick up an issue here and there. I'm like, all right, come on. I want this to work, and it never really did, and now it is. So I want to see where this is going to go. All right. So my book this week, I went back to Dynamite, and you ever hear of a comic named Pathfinder? Yeah. Okay, so this was one called Pathfinder Hollow Mountain. Now, of course, published by Dynamite. The writer is James L. Sutter. Our artist is done by Tom Garcia. The color is done by Mohan. And letters done by Bill Tortellini. And here's what I, when I asked you that question about the long dialogue in your Titans book, about it being long, this is something that it falls into, which is a trap of it. Uh-oh. The, first of all, it's called Pathfinder Hollow Mountain. The problem, Let me guess. Let me guess. The mountain's full. No. It's not hollow The problem is you have to have read past Pathfinder books because uh. the hell the characters are. Uh, there's a lot of talk about, oh, I wish this character was here or that character was there or whatever, and you don't know what's going on. And in, in a sense, it feels boring. And what happens is it's a lot of setup, but it's like it's kind of like, 
honestly, when you're watching a Lord of the Rings movie and there's just the first one, especially, and there's just so much dialogue and nothing really happening. That's <laughs> and we're was. walking and we're walking. that's what this was. <laughs> and the thing is, it's set up in this place called Thessalian, and pretty much there's this group of people who, again, I haven't read any Pathfinder, so I don't know really who these people are. Uh, I just want to say they're kind of like a group of kind of like treasure hunters. Let's make this clear. This was a number one issue. This is right? a, yeah. This is number one. Okay, issue. I just want that to be clear so people don't think we're reviewing like the random middle of an arc. No, this is Pathfinder Hollow Mountain number one. So say. you'd think there would be a little bit of reintroduction or some sort right. of a reset. Okay, it wasn't really any of that. Okay, it, go on. And so, anyways, it takes place in this place called Thassian. And long story short, um, a, a Pompeii-esque, it's called Earthfall, happens to the city. And pretty much there's these people there. They're like these runescapers, and they go into thousands and thousands of years sleep. Anywho, this group comes along trying to search for this thing and come to find out, you know, th- certain th- it's protected by certain beings like, you know, skeletons and everything else. But along the way, again, it's just a lot of a lot of dialogue, and I found myself myself just like skimming through it and just bouncing from panel to panel. Yeah, it's never good. It's never a good sign. And um, again, a, a big part of it probably was maybe if I had read some Pathfinder leading up to this, I probably would have been more engaged. Um, but it, I wasn't really engaged. Now there was some parts where I did chuckle a little bit just from the, some of the dialogue, like one of the guys gets hurt. And this person who's more of like a spiritual being, kind of like, you know, uh, kind of like a Constantine-esque kind of thing, like, you know, Magi healer kind of thing, right. was more like, you know, oh, great spirit, give this idiot, you know, the, the, the power to heal and stuff like that from his wounds and stuff like that. So I kind of got a little bit of chuckle out of it. Um, the art is really, really good. The, the color's really good. There's actually um, kind of a little bit of a montage in, the, in this. Okay. Where they're trekking through, like, it's actually the way the pages is not the, just regular panels. The page, like, for like two or three pages in the middle of the book, looks like a map and, like, a legit, like, brown map. Okay. And it has little squares and, like, fighting certain beings and monsters throughout it. So it's kind of like a little montage, which is pretty, really, which is really, really cool. Um, but again, this is very dialogue heavy. And I didn't really know who any of the characters are. And even when it, where it ends. It ends with these characters appearing, not the one, you know, like, that are kind of like, you know, in order to get to this room they got to be in, they need like a certain tile. Mm. And, of course, it's somebody at the end saying, looking for this, and when they reveal who it is, you're expecting to know who it is. And I, as somebody again, who hasn't read Pathfinder, I don't know who they were, so I'm like, like, looking for this, I'm like, oh, it's just another group. Whereas, who knows, maybe it could be like their biggest adversary, but again, I don't know who these people are. Yeah, it's kind of hard to follow along, and you don't really know that going in, correct? Correct. I mean, I know uh, that this is—I know that this is kind of, I think, based on the RPG uh, Pathfinder game. So I think that that's part of it. Maybe if you haven't played that, I mean, I'm assuming that's kind of what it's loosely based on. I, I don't know. I maybe, um, but my thing is just—and I know people are probably gonna probably chastise me for like not knowing a lot about Pathfinder, but they can't play everything. No, man. I can't I mean, play everything. On. But but again, as you mentioned earlier, it's a number one issue, and going into it, you expect to maybe have a refresher or kind of like a reintroduction, and you don't get that. And I'll say this: it's not a drop for me because the reason why is because I'm somebody who doesn't know about the Pathfinder universe really. So if you're somebody who's a path, somebody who knows about Pathfinder, this is a pickup for you. Like if you're somebody like me who doesn't know much about it, 
you still might want to pick up instead of getting it three issues, you might want to give it two only because you want more of like, okay, who are these characters? What's the, what's the sense of going forward? And, you know, building up to what the first few panels are, remember, there's these characters and these runescapers mm-hmm. that are kind of like these evil people are cast outs pretty much. They're being cast out from society. And so I think maybe when they get reintroduced, you know, maybe it'll pick up even more. I don't know. But again, it's a pickup for me. Only because if you're a Pathfinder fan, you'll like it. But it's not much of a drop because a drop for me now is kind of more of like... This sucked. This sucked, yeah. Because, yeah. um, again, there were parts where I kind of did like. Uh, it's just I felt the dialogue was well, way too heavy. I mean, here's the deal, though. Did this, even in not knowing anything about Pathfinder, did reading this issue make you go, huh, and want to go back and kind of find out more about Pathfinder so you can see what's actually going on or no? No. See, but and that's a failing to me. Because even if you go in not knowing anything about a certain series, but you just want to kind of check it out because it's the number one issue and you want to see what it's like, you should, at the end of that issue, if you don't know anything about it, want to go back and research it. And if this does not do that, I think that's a little bit of a failing. Yeah, but again, I think it's... It's just that... With me, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm not one of those guys to go back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Well, in, I mean, yeah, stuff. if you're just not one of those guys, that's a different story. I'm, I'm just one of those guys. You know, and, and I'm one of those people where, like, yeah, I expect when I get a number one issue to be a, for it to be a fresh take. But again, who knows? Maybe we'll get more backstory going forward. I don't know. But again, that's, that's a pickup for me. And that's going to do it for this week. And what we're reading, so we're going to put away our long boxes for now and put the tops back on and put all those comics back in our nice little plastic coverings we love so much. So anyways, come up next. It's this week in Geek Tame, and we're going to be heading to the world of Warcraft. So stay tuned. More Down Nerdy coming up next. This is Vanessa Marshall, voice of Gamora on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy and Hera on Star Wars Rebels on Disney XD. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, nerds, it's time for This Week with Dominic Coop. Oh, wait a minute. No, I mean This Week in Geektainment, where we're going to be talking about <laughs> the Warcraft trailer. Of course, Dominic Cooper is in that. We did Preacher last week, and I got to tell you, a lot of excitement for this one. Am I right, Nick? My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Horde as they travel through the continent of Kalimdor. Wrong. They bash the alliance's skulls, and with their hammers of war, Ogrim's truth is marching on. Hoo-ha! Hoo-ha! <laughs> That's not how it goes at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, there's just, right away, and we talk about video game movies and how, you know, they're difficult to do, and maybe you shouldn't do them, but right away, you kind of get a sense that this one's going to be different somehow. I got to ask you, before we dive into the trailer, are you for the Horde, or are you for the Alliance? <sighs> I go back and forth. Uh-huh. But uh, I'm thinking more of an alliance guy right now. Really? I mean, I know you have the shiny armor, but you know, uh, you know, the the horde do have those gnarly tooth piercings. That is true, and I mean, that's a that's a dentist's dream I actually right there. Want to sidebar a little bit of the conversation? I reached out to our friend Abby Darkstar actually a couple days ago when the trailer first dropped, and uh, I I asked because you know I haven't played Warcraft a lot. Neither I've never played. I've watched people play it, and I kind of asked her like, so. Should I be for the Horde or should I be for the Alliance? And she says, oh, for the Alliance. So, I don't know. I have her telling me to be for the Alliance. I have another friend saying, oh, for the Horde. And I'm like, well, 
I I don't know. So Ab, so I've got Abby on my side then. You've got Abby on your okay. side. All right. Well, we'll we'll see. We'll reach out on reach out to us on Twitter down in thirty seven five seven at down in thirty seven five seven. Well, who are you with? We'll put the poll up there. Actually, oh, God, find that, out who you with. Yeah, yeah, we'll put the yeah the polls are a new thing on Twitter now, so we'll put up a poll yeah, if we'll you're for the horde or for the alliance. Uh, you know, I I, I got you for the alliance. I, I I think I just think not just because Abby, but I don't know, just orcs. They they're big and they smell bad. I mean, yeah, I mean the the, the foot odor alone, and then I mean, have you seen an well, orc? Have you, have you ever seen an orc take a shower? Not really. I, well, not just zap. I mean, you know, they got the you know. The crotch rot from all that fur and walking through all those wooded areas. That's you know, a real just, world problem, man. It's a real world problem. But anyways, let's move on to the actual Warcraft trailer. When I saw this, and this is a, I, I want to get this problem, this issue out of the way first. I liked the trailer. Don't get me wrong. My only issue is when you have a world like in the world of Warcraft, for example. The fact of the matter is, when the entire world looks too CG, it takes me out of it. I understand what you're saying there, and I think that's one of the things that Lord of the Rings always did well, was that they always made sure the world looked real, right? and it looked authentic, and I do agree that th- this one doesn't as much. Um, I'm wondering if they decided to do it that way, because this is a video game adaptation, and... I think that's probably a thing, like, like, listen, I understand you need CG for the orcs and the griffins. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, t- I totally get that, because the orcs, because people were saying, like, oh, well, they did the orcs in Lord of the Rings all human, and... and this is totally different. This is different. totally different. The orcs in here are, like, seven-foot-tall, Hulk-sized, yeah. you know, people, you know, orcs, you know? My thing is, you know, I'm talking more about the land and the hills and everything yeah. else. You know, it, it, it looked, I think, too CG. Well, that was our uh, compl- one of our big complaints about Bastard Executioner when we reviewed right. that a couple of months ago was that it's just really, you couldn't just, you couldn't have built some sort of set there. You had to make the castles and stuff CG. You couldn't have done well, something. Well, castles, I understand. You know, I mean, you're not going to like a, flo- looks like when a guy, you know, it looks like be Dominic Cooper walking up the steps. You got that floating ring of cement, you know, and, you know, my thing is, he was talking to what appears to be the council or whatever. Like it, it's okay. Like I'm saying, like there's certain aspects of it that I'm fine with CG, CGI because right. I know they have to be CG. But moving on, you know, when you look at the story, of course, the orcs are pretty much the people who are the oppressed. Uh, their people are dying, and you know, it calls on one of them to actually join forces with the alliance and see if they can save their people and save what's going on. And it's pretty interesting to say the least. Yeah. It creates an interesting dynamic because then you've got this whole like planet of the apes meets avatar kind of vibe going on. It's yeah. It meets, meets more like fern gully dances with wolves. Yeah. Yeah. It's just very interesting. And there's that scene in the trailer where you have one of the orcs saying you're side with the humans against your own kind. And that creates some tension internally there too. And just, Beyond that, the battle scenes just look so epic. Oh, they do. They really do. And that's the thing is that they look, even the battle scenes are CG, they look astounding. Like when people get hit with hammers, you feel it, man. Like you really do. Yeah. And it's it's really just an astounding job. Like this scene where he jumps off the fucking balcony and lands on the griffin. I'm like, oh, that oh. was awesome. That oh, was so, so awesome. Probably my favorite part of the trailer right there. That was just so amazing. But, I mean, it's just... I, this is one of those things, and people are going to get mad at me for this probably. Yeah. When you're making a movie like this, I say flush the game entirely. Really? Make a movie. 
just make a movie. I mean, there's certain things you need to stay true to. Well, they're, they're staying true to the first game, the first book, I, I believe, uh, which is what this is, you know, taken from. And of course, Duncan Jones directing it. And, you know, I, I, I like Duncan Jones's work. He's a really good director. I think he's going to do a really good job with this. I and I kind of understand like, you don't want like a shot for shot of the game, but this is again based on a video game. Right. So you can Take a story, though, is what I'm saying. Oh, that's what they're Take doing. Take a story and don't feel like you have to follow the game exactly. I think you just make a movie in this sense because I think that that can be one of the failings of video game movies where you try and make it an adaptation or, as you would say, shot for shot version of the game. And I don't think anybody really wants that. I think people want a story and I think that's what you need to give them you need to make sure certain aspects especially I'm talking about like characters personalities and backstories and stuff like that I think that's very important I think that should be taken from the game but I don't think that you need to like recreate scenes from the game and stuff like that Right. I think you just make a movie but stay just, true to the characters themselves I just think that you know one of my biggest jokes I have about World of Warcraft is just because I'm like it's a game that has really, really no ending to it no. so I'm like so I'm like like oh my god they're making a movie but it's it's, it's never going to end though or you know it's, it's just going to keep well, on going and going this is one of those things where there could be a world of warcraft 30 by the time my son's <laughs> in his 40s so i right. mean this is legit they could do it's that like, and there's your reason right there i can see like okay you know how like back in the day they had those call now and receive 20 cds for like yep. whatever it'd be like call now and get the entire first world of warcraft movie on a deluxe 30 dvds blu-ray you know combo set you gotta build your own cabinet just to <laughs> yeah. house your World of Warcraft DVD yeah. collection, Blu-ray collection, or whatever the hell it's gonna be in thirty years. Yeah, pretty much. But I mean, no, it, it's captivating. And the thing is, you know, a lot of people. Were, I was reading a lot of comment section, you know, from where the trailers are, like on YouTube and other uh, news outlets, and and people were saying like, oh, it's not a dance with wolves thing, you know, kind of like Pocahontas, or whatever. I'm like, yeah, but you understand that. As movies have been going on for the centuries and decades, like. You know, and even with plays, for example, the same types of settings and tones and just uh, uh, types of stories have been reused constantly. Right. I mean, it's it's, it's how you put a, as a director and how as a writer how you put your own spin on it and make it unique and make it feel fresh and not make it feel like I'm going to go in and watch Avatar. Like that's why I didn't like Avatar. I hate Avatar actually because I'm like it just ripped off Fern Gully. Like it, you know, yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, I think that people need to realize, like William Shakespeare might be the greatest, definitely one of the greatest storytellers of all time. That if you look at Shakespeare, similar themes pop up in a lot of his works, but he always found a way to make them unique and tell its each individual story. And I think that that is the mark of a good storyteller because let's face it, there's been centuries and centuries of stories. It's hard to come up with something that's actually 100% legitimately unique anymore. So all you can do is take similar themes. And this goes for the Grimm's fairy tales as well, because a lot of that stuff's been redone in different ways. Find a way to make it your own and tell the story. And that is what you need to do. And I think that's the mark of good storytelling. And I think that you can't fault people for using similar stories anymore because uh, what else can you do anymore? Yeah, exactly, man. I'm just looking at it. I'm just like, you know what? I, 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 I go back to Duncan Jones. I believe in Duncan Jones. Like, you know, I believe in Harvey Dent. I believe in Duncan Jones. And, you know, again, I'm somebody who hasn't really played Warcraft all that much. I'm, like I said, I only knew of Warcraft probably when I was a freshman in college. That's how I got my introduction to it because my friends would play it all the time. I just mm. watched them play because at the time, 
I didn't have a laptop. So I was my entertainment through video games was, you know, watch my friends play. That was and, hell. And it was hell. Because <laughs> I wanted to play. Oh yeah, they would play like Worms. No no laptop. Like that. That's hell. Oh, it no, was, right well, it was my, my my mother, you know, I love her, but she was one of those things like you don't need a laptop for college. Oh, yeah. Bum, bum, bum. yeah, <laughs> yeah, ah, you survived. I survived. But uh, again, you know, final thoughts on the trailer. What do you expect out of this trailer going forward? And, w- and what would you like to see happen? In the words of Donald Trump, we're going to make video game movies great again. It's going to be huge. <laughs> I, I agree. I think that, you know, video game movies, they don't have a great track record. If a good, if a track record at all, really. Because a lot of people, when you see a video game movie, you want to kind of not, you know, admit yeah, that it exists. Yeah. I think because of the source material, I think it's based on what it's on. You know, it's not like Tomb Raider. It's not like other things. It's set in a certain lore that you have a lot more to take from. You know, whereas with, with certain, a lot of video game movies, you just have the games themselves to really go back on. Mm-hmm. With Warcraft, you have the books, you have the games, right. but you also have stuff like Lord of the Rings and, and something like and, and certain Tolkien esque lore you can look back on and be like, okay, we can borrow from this or we can build on this and use this as an example. Um, I, I think this is going to break the trend. And before we went on to nerd news, opening weekend, how much do you think it's going to make? This is going to be one of those exceptions to the rule of video game movies. I think that you could be looking at an Avengers-style box office here. I think that we're going to... It's going to push $100 million. I don't know if it's going to actually break $100 million because I think in order to do that, you need to bring in the general movie audience as well. And I think a lot of people are going to turn up their nose at this because a lot of people know about World of Warcraft. But right. I think we're going to really bump our head on that $100 million ceiling. Right. I think... I'm going to go under 100 million uh, opening weekend. I'm going to go 75 to 80. I think that's probably more realistic. Because, yeah. again, you know, it's coming out at a time where you're going to have a lot of movies coming out. You know, they're going to probably, like, it's going to be come out during a time where, like, not a lot of movies are going to stay at number one spots for, uh, you know, right. a week and then they're going to be dropped down a little bit. Um, I think it's going to be 80 million only because. As you've mentioned, you know, people are going to look at it and be like, oh, I don't want to see Warcraft. Like, really? They're going to see this? And I know they're still like, you know, we had Blizz, you know, BlizzardCon recently over the weekend or past couple days ago. And there's a lot of, Blizzard has a lot of following. But mm-hmm. again, I think it's, it's Warcraft, I think to a certain point, is still a niche property. In a way, yeah, I would say it is. And again, a lot of your general public is going to turn their nose up at this because it's World of Warcraft and it's a video game and there's that, you know, super nerd that lives with his mom stigma attached to it and people won't go see it just because of that, which is small-minded, but you have those kinds of people out there. But those are the same people that will go see Iron Man and will go see Ant-Man and Avengers because it's a Marvel property and that scene is more accepted now. And I don't think stuff like World of Warcraft is widely accepted by the general public yet. Exactly, exactly. And that's going to do it for this week in Geek Team. But coming up next, we got a plethora of nerd news, so stay tuned. More Don Nerdy coming up next. Hi, this is Bob Lee, Fantasy Escape Comics Card, Virginia Beach, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, said time, nerds. We go around the interwebs and see what's trending and happening in the nerd world because it's time for what, Mr. Witham? Nerd! nerd news! And our first story, James, I swear to fucking God, if you start singing Taylor Swift Bad Blood, I'm going to reach through my screen and punch you in the face. I can't even envision a scenario in which that would happen. Yeah, uh, okay. So anyways, Rob Liefeld 
is coming back to Marvel, and he's coming back with a new Deadpool title that he actually had like written out. He started drawing back in 2007. He said uh, on Twitter or in, a, in an interview he did recently where he's about he. He was drawing up certain panels. Was back in 2007, which is actually pretty interesting. It's called Deadpool: Bad Blood, and of course, it's going to be written by a writer from X Men '92, Chris Sims and Chad Bowers, and Hilly Liefeld will also be co-writing it as well and drawing it. What's funny about this is if you look at it and they actually give you a preview of the cover right here, it actually looks very X-Men 92-esque as yeah. well. So, And I know they kind of put Deadpool in, in uh, X-Men 92 and they did that X-Force 92 thing. So maybe they're playing off that a little bit. But I like the fact that they're capitalizing on this. And I liked X-Men 92. I thought it was a good, a good series. I thought it made you love the animated series all over again. So to continue with that writing team with a guy like Deadpool. And I think that based on what I've seen... This writing team might be one of those teams, Nick, and I don't know how you feel about this, that might get the true Deadpool right. Well, I mean, again, it's Liefeld. And, you know, I'm not going to really, I don't want to name drop right now, but I kind of got to. I was talking to Liefeld over the weekend. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I got Deadpool while I wanted to show him. I talk, we started texting him over, we started talking about Deadpool. No, it's just one of those things, man, where he's very excited to come back. Uh, it's just one of those things where, you know, uh, he, you know, granted we didn't have a long conversation, but it was just one of those things where I'm so happy he's back. Like, I'm so happy that he's back doing yeah. Deadpool. Because, you know, we had Fabian and, 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 you know, Riley working on Nerd Deadpool and Cable Run, and now Liefeld, Liefeld's back. And it's so great. Now, the thing is, too, is they're not sure when this really will be out because, uh, you know, you got the Deadpool movie coming out in February, so they might, they're saying they might want to maybe make the release more tied closer to that. Because they're going to do a actual Deadpool comic run for the movie. They actually said they're going to do that. But they, again, they, the same, maybe December, maybe January, who knows? We'll see. But uh, I'm very excited, man. Again, you read X-Men 92. You liked it a lot. And, I mean, it it's feels good to have Rob back, you know? Yeah, and he, he kind of embodies Deadpool a lot. And I'm not, this, that's not a knock on Fabian, but, I mean, you just look at Liefeld's personality. He, he really tends to embody the character itself. So having him back on there uh, doing the art for this and having the X-Men 92 guys involved, it just seems like the perfect kind of marriage, you know? And I, yeah. I think that this, this might be one where I might actually be interested in picking it up as well, because when you get a solid team like that together, that, that bodes well, I think. Exactly. And speaking of marriages and things that go well, a lot of people pen pretty much, especially Walking Dead fans, or mostly Walking Dead fans, have been wanting the marriage for a classic villain and the TV show to come together and James, it's finally happening. Yeah, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is finally going to play the man that everybody has been waiting to come to The Walking Dead, and that's Negan. Now, Negan is probably the biggest villain in The Walking Dead Period. Well, not only that, but he's the most sadistic villain in Walking Dead. No doubt about it. So, I mean, I mean, you look at Jeffrey Dean Morgan, definitely looks the part, I think. I know that's not hugely important, but, yeah. you know, if you're a fan of comics, it kind of is. Well, I think um, there's an image of him going around about what he could possibly look like as Negan. Yeah. And it looks pretty badass. I mean, Negan... He's the character where I know a lot of people right now are, are wondering, you know, where's Glenn? What's happening to Glenn? And this is going to be, I'm going to say right now, spoiler alert for people who haven't read the comics. Three, two, one, spoiler alert. Negan brutally, 
brutally kills Glenn. Or, or, or approach he, with, with with Lucille, his bat wrapped in barbed wire. Oh, yeah. And it's brutal. Like, it, it's very, very uh, uh, sickening what he does to Glenn and, um, and why he chooses him. And, you know, Negan is also one of those guys who he likes to say fuck a lot, so it's going to be kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, that will be very interesting to see because, exactly because, what they do. Because Negan saying fuck is like John Constantine smoking cigarettes. Like, it's literally that. Yeah, well, I mean, think about this, too. You talk about the whole Glenn thing. That, you know, the people are saying that the season six finale might be when we first see Negan. So if that's the yeah. case, is that how and, long we're going to have to wait till we find what? out what happens to Glenn? Maybe. And, and Negan's one of those guys, too, where he's, you know, if you don't know who he is, he is this leader of a savage group called the Saviors. And they use force intimidation to pretty much subjugate other communities. Like, I believe in the comic, there's a thing where, like, uh, Negan pretty much wants like half of this one town supplies, you know, every so often for a certain time of the month, he's like, okay, give me half your supplies. Give me half your supplies. And he's the type of guy where he'll go around and he'll sleep with the wives of a lot of other people. And he'll put a, he'll literally take an, a clothing iron and put it on their face to kind of be like, you know, Marcus territory in a sense. Well, does this sound Genghis Khan asked to anybody else? Very. I mean, I think that that's gr- kind like, of, remember, yeah. He has he's known for his famous bat named Lucille, who he literally treats like a woman. And if you make fun of Lucille, you're gonna get a nice spike bat to the face. Now, pretty much. I mean, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is a great pick for this as well. And again, I'm not gonna lie. I know we don't watch Walking Dead, or we're not fans of the show really. I know a lot of people because it's not close to the comics. I might. Season, watch the season finale now because Negan, yeah. Negan's going to be in it, and I might now that Negan's going to be in it, I might watch season seven. Well, I, I might. People who have been fans, and the Hollywood Reporter broke the story, by the way. So people who are fans of the show have been waiting for this for yeah. so long. They've waited probably longer than they should have, but the but people have loved the show so much it hasn't really mattered to add him well, into not, the show. Well, not only that, but. But now I think they're doing it because I think now you see a lot of people kind of turn away from the show because they're like, it's yeah. so stale. Yeah. And, oh, my God, you know, they're revisiting old tropes over and over again, old storylines over and over again. We don't care. And people are dropping off. And now, like, okay, you know, Negan, I think, is the hit, you know, the red button for a case of emergency. And that's why, like, okay, we got to do this. <laughs> so the glass is broken everywhere. Is what everywhere. <laughs> uh, and, and before we move on, I got a question for you. So, Negan, as we said, has this bat called Lucille, who he cherishes really much, uh, a lot, and it's wrapped in barbed wire. I got to ask you this question. If you had a signature, and it has to be a realistic weapon, so you can't use, like, lightsabers or blasters. Right. If you had a signature melee weapon, what would it be, and what would you name it? Oh, geez. Uh, pulling the curtain back here on the Witham household, I do have a baseball bat under my bed. Yeah, that I keep for emergency purposes. So I guess I don't know because when I played, remember River City Ransom for NES? Yes. When I would play that, it would always be the bat for me. <laughs> so and this uh, this was this was like an unconscious decision on my part. So I'm not kind of going with the flow here. I'm just kind of going with how things have gone for me. I think it would be a bat. What would I name it? Ah, uh, jeez. I, I, Punisher sounds like a great name, but I'm not stealing from Marvel. Um, <laughs> Copyright. <laughs> what about uh, what about Basher or something like that? Eh, Basher kind of sounds like a name of a of a little henchman from like a failed NES game. 
Well, I'm not going to call it. Gra- I'm not going to, you know, I'm just trying to think of a good name. I'm not good with the whole, you know, awesome yeah. names thing. Yeah. You know, maybe it's my age. I don't know. I, I mean, mean I, I mean, you named your son after a whiskey. I mean, what are the kids calling things these <laughs> days? I, I don't know anymore. I'm out of touch, apparently. Well, again, like I said, you named your son after a whiskey, so there's that. Well, I mean, w- w- come on, Butch. What would you call your? Uh, <laughs> what would you call your uh, a weapon there? I'd have a katana, and I'd name it Peaches. All right, excellent. And for, for a little bit of uh, reveal the curtain behind the Bataglia household or bachelor pad should say because i'm single um i actually have okay you know the plasma sword from halo uh-huh picture something like that but more from the medieval age and shorter it All has right. a, it, it, it's a it's a thing you, you hold your hand like and it has it's like a dragon fang blade mm-hmm. and it has two big blades on each the one on top one on bottom you hold it like a like a plasma nice. sword and you make if you stab somebody, you you get like the two incisions like in the side. Mm-hmm. But I figure I'm like, okay, if we're gonna be like in the Walking Dead universe, I don't want anything that's gonna have to require really close combat. My hand getting close to yeah, anything. So uh, yeah, a katana named Peaches, and why Peaches? I'm not gonna lie. Ever since Rock was my own life, and that se- that episode where Heifer goes to heck, and the devil's name is called Peaches, I've just been really loving that name. I thought but- you were talking like. Nicholas Cage from Face Off, where he goes, oh, I could eat peach for hours. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's like a little Penn Oswald joke where he goes, uh, at Black Angus, your name is Peaches. <laughs> there you go. Is it wrong? Is it bad that I also have a sword, too? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually kind of awesome. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know why that is. So maybe, maybe sword in one hand, bat in the other. I don't know. I know you, I know you don't really have that option. I don't have that option either. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, I mean, I could probably club people to death with my prosthetic arm, but that's, you know, it doesn't fit me anymore. Well, that's why I said Butch on Gotham. He had that nice little hammer right. on the end of his, <laughs> there you go. I mean, you got that option. Right, right. And speaking of Gotham, well, speaking of TV in general, James, uh, the ratings for this week's Flash episode came out, and um, when you think of networks that are pretty kicking ass, you don't really think of CW because you think, no. okay, they got Flash, they got Arrow, and yeah, they got iZombie as well. But you don't think of it as being a top tier, uh, you know, beating ABC and CBS. But uh, Enter Zoom kind of did that. Yeah, definitely. As a matter of fact, we're talking about a 1.5 rating for the Enter Zoom, and that's in the demo. That's in the money demo, which for those who don't know is 18, 18 to 49. To 49. And that's 3.6 million viewers. I know you're thinking, ah, that doesn't seem like a lot. But comparatively speaking, I mean, you look at shows like The Muppets on ABC and and Fox's Comedy Blocks. These are major networks that aren't getting those same numbers. And it's at 8 p.m. It's not 10. It's not 9. It's at 8. So that means a lot, too. And also, look at this. Yeah, they're two different shows. But as Zoom gets 3.6 million viewers... Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. only got a 1.3 and had uh, dropped to actually a 3.3.5 million viewers. So, that's on ABC. That's, yeah. a, that's considered low for ABC standards. This is CW. CW is pulling like 3.6 million people. 3.6 million people to the CW, formerly UPN, formerly WB Network, is kind of like on ABC when you have five to six. 
Yeah, I mean, you got it comparatively speaking here. Now, for those who don't know, CW actually is a affiliate company of CBS. Right. So we'll just put we'll just put that out there right now. But it's still the little the little kid in the group. So when you and this network is still very very young because remember it was UPN they changed it now it was the CW so they rebranded everything and they're yep. putting out more original programming this is still a relatively young network remember Fox was the little kid at the table for a while too yep. back in the day and then that gradually evolved so you kind of looked at the CW at one point and were like, ah, they're never going to get there because they just don't have good enough programming. That's slowly and steadily not the case anymore. And we were talking about this off the air that with ratings comes dollars, okay? Oh, yeah. So when Arrow starts doing well and now Flash is doing very, very well since its inception, all that's going to do is bring more eyes, which means more dollars, which means better programming, not just on those shows, but bringing in more shows like Constantine? Well, only that, but bring in characters like King Shark. Right. And we saw the promo for next week's episode of The Flash, which is Gorilla Grodd. And he looks, if you watch, see what Grodd looks like then from season one to now, it looks like he got a little bit of a makeover and he looks a lot better. I mean, he looked good in, the, in yeah. season one, but I'm oh, saying yeah. it looks like he, you know, went, he went to the spa pretty much. He got, you know, his Zen in order. Kind and, of here's, and here's the deal. I think that as Flash fans, we all kind of want that season of Grodd. We want him yeah. to be the big bad eventually. We want Gorilla City. We want all that stuff. Well, well, not only that, but we want it because we're you know I was talking to our friend David Sobolov, who actually voices Grodd, and I'm, you know we want him to have some work as well. Oh, definitely. And not that he's hurting for work because he's a no. very, very oh, popular, God, no. very popular he's choice got, for he's sure. Got, he's got Grodd, and he's got like you know Drax and Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy. The, the man's. Good. The man's working, but I see, I totally understand what you're saying because I want I definitely want to hear more Sobolov. Hashtag more Sobolov. By the hashtag way. more Sobolov. Um, no, hashtag, I think hashtag Sobolov Batman. I think yes, yes. <laughs> we're 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 trying to make that happen. Yeah, but um, I think that if you want to see that, you need to watch the show. The more viewers means more money. So if you ever want to go to Gorilla City, and I know it seems like it's unrealistic, I totally get that. But look at a show like The 100, which is on uh, the CW. I'm not saying that it's in any way the same, but you just put gorillas in that atmosphere. It's not that different. This is doable, but they do need money because it's going to need to be more than just Grodd to make a Gorilla City. So if you keep watching the show, more ad dollars come to the show. You can put it back in. We could get gorilla city on the flash i'm not saying necessarily next season exactly. but it could happen and that's something i think we all want really quickly i want to talk about enter zoom because again it's this is the thing that pretty much pushed cw passes all the networks holy shit professor zoom so far the biggest and best villain i think i've seen when you talk about gotham you talk about aids of shield you talk about arrow even Best villain. And this is Hands not a down. knock on any of those. Okay? No. It's just that he's that good. I'm sorry. When he goes to each individual location. Now, spoiler alert, by the way, for anybody that hasn't watched it yet. So just be aware of that. It, when he goes to each individual location, the police yeah. station, the, the, the paper, holding Barry's body up. Yeah. Saying, this is not your hero anymore kind of thing. In each individual spot, I'm like, Wow. But this is that, incredible. But it had me on the edge of my seat because I'm like, oh my God, he's going to unmask Barry. Oh, oh yeah. my God, he's going to unmask Barry in the middle of the paper with Iris and everybody mm-hmm. there. Oh my God, he's going to unmask Barry at the police station with Joe yeah, there. Yeah. Joe, you know, Joe's his stepfather. 
oh my god, you know, it's 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 very interesting. And then, spoiler again, Barry at the end wakes up and he says, I can't feel my legs. Yep. And I mean, look at all the stuff that we're getting now. And and it doesn't feel and, like too much. And I'm sorry, but when Barry throws the lightning and Zoom catches it, oh my god. And throws it? Oh my god. Oh my god, I was freaking out. Was I so could good. not believe And when he catches all those bullets and just mic drops them on yeah, the ground, much. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. But uh, no, it was a really, really great episode. Now, really quickly, who do you think is Professor Zoom? Do you want me to go first with my uh, prediction? I think we're both kind of on the same page now. I think it's Henry Allen from Earth 2. Yeah, I'm kind of going. I mean, you look at the really tight shot. And I know this really doesn't matter. But you look at the tight shot and of the Zoom. It looks like John Wesley's ship. It does. And it people, really does. And people are wondering, well, why would Earth 2 Henry Allen be Zoom? Well, remember, if you listen closely in one of the earlier episodes from the season when they're in Earth 2, Barry Allen's in prison. Yep. The roles are reversed. And odds are, who knows, maybe Jake Garrick was responsible for putting Barry in prison. Mm-hmm. They could certainly go that route. And – but. And his father has this anger towards the Flash. And remember, he said, what, what did Garrick say? Zoom is obsessed with speed. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe Zoom is, he- is Henry Allen's Earth 2 because he wants to get enough speed to the point where he can erase Barry going to prison. Yep, that's right. I mean, because they talked about the time travel aspect when Barry went back in time. And Wells, remember the Earth 2 Harrison Wells was like, huh, Barry went back in time? Interesting. Yeah. Sort of thing. So that's definitely a part of it. And look at all the st- other stuff we're getting in. We're going to get Jesse Quick eventually. Yep. Uh, we haven't even talked about Wally West yet. And I know that no. we were worried. We are worried about, okay, is it going to be too much? Is it going to seem like it's bogged down? There's not a lot of Jay Garrick. We're not getting overwhelmed by all of these speedsters and all of these characters. So the way that uh, Guggenheim and Kreisberg and the group are structuring this is beyond brilliant and how you cannot how anybody cannot see that is mind-blowing to me they're setting up this could end up being i'm gonna say it i don't care what anybody says this could end up being when we look back at this in five ten years whatever the greatest superhero comic book related show ever i agree with you i really agree with you you know i mean it's just it's it just mesh as well it's never an episode where it's just a down episode you know what i'm saying like no that's the thing you know that's the thing it's it's like and i know people from like season one like oh iris is just a pain in the ass again they given her more stuff to do and she's more of a central character and it's really awesome and evolution people if, exactly you know it's, you can't expect everybody to hit the ground every character to hit the ground running and be you know their full potential every you know right the first episode of the first season but yeah i mean this show is just amazing and, and the way this, they cast everybody oh it's just fits. they had a plan I, from day say, one tom cavanaugh oh. is amazing you when don't need Cisco, to tell me man when, when he yells at tom cavanaugh's kind of guy where like you know he seems like kind of guy you know funny and everything else but he's not a guy you want to piss off you know what i'm saying no. like when he goes to cisco did you vibe off me what'd you vibe off me and you're like oh shit yeah, something's gonna much. happen then when he pulls out that rifle on zoom too yeah. and i'm like oh, didn't see that coming that was that's that's a side of tom cavanaugh you don't ever get to see exactly but i mean the, the, the rays are great and that's gonna do it for this week's edition of nerd news come up next 
We're going to take a little bit of a trip to Victorian England and we're going to put our hoods on and get our gauntlets ready because we're going to be talking to Victoria Atkin, who plays, of course, Evie Fry, the one of the main characters from Ubisoft's new Assassin's Creed Syndicate video game. So stay tuned. Our interview with Victoria Atkin comes up next on Down Nerdy. Hi, this is David Harris from Superdog. Hi, you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, without a doubt, one of the biggest video game franchises in history has to be the Assassin's Creed franchise from Ubisoft. And Assassin's Creed Syndicate just hit store shelves not too long ago. And boy, do we have a special guest for you. It's the voice of Evie Fry herself, Victoria Ekin. Victoria, how are you doing today? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. I'm, I'm pleased to be joining this podcast. Awesome, awesome. We love to hear that, Victoria. So, since the games release what has your life been like you told us you're in los angeles right now what's it what's it been like since the uh, games release it's been pretty uh pretty busy um i've been doing other things as well as assassin's creed so it's uh yeah it's been busy but it's you know as an actress it's great it's great to be busy so i'm happy and it's nice to be talking to the fans and i'm pleased that evie's receiving lots of love so yeah it couldn't be it couldn't be better right now Matter of fact, speaking of talking to the fans, you've had a ton of fan interaction under social media and stuff like that. And I see that you did a Fan Art Friday recently a couple of times. So what's some of the coolest stuff that you've actually seen from the fans since this has all happened? Yeah, the fans are absolutely incredible. I mean, I was on a TV show in England and the fans were great on that. And so I experienced that. But there's nothing quite like the Assassin's Creed fans. Uh, they're, they're incredible. They outstand me every week. Um, yeah, so I decided to do a Fan Art Fridays every week because there was so much fan art and every week it's still very difficult for me to decide. But yeah, everybody's been just been sending so much amazing, amazing artwork. Um, I don't know. It's all it all varies. Like some of it's comed, like quite comedy and cartoony and there's other stuff that's like watercolored and it's amazing. It's just very inventive and I, I enjoy it. You mentioned your work in TV and in films. This is kind of a new venture for you, though. Were there any moments where you just felt like you wanted to jump out of your booth and jump right into the game itself? I was in the game. I did all the motion capture and the facial capture. Oh, so look at that. Yeah, I, I am the soul of Evie. That is fantastic. How, yeah. did, that, how did I miss that, Nick? I, I have yeah. no idea. <laughs> Jeez. I was mainly, you know, everybody's complimenting me on my voice work, which is which is lovely. But I, I did all the facial capture, all the motion capture. I, I built Evie from the ground up, and uh, yeah, she's she's great. So I, I worked on her like I would any other character. So what's it like? I mean, you mentioned you did the motion capture. You mentioned you know you built Evie Fry just from the ground up. What is it like just building up a character like Evie just from the ground up, ground up from the motion capture to the voice, and knowing that that character. Uh, it's part of a franchise that's not only one of the biggest things out, it's going to have its mm -hmm. own movie and everything. So what is it like just building a character from the ground up that's part of this just amazing and huge franchise and that's your own? Well, I think when I first started, I didn't know what I was auditioning for. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so that was, you know, I I found this woman and then, you know, I, I realized uh, what it was and Ubisoft were fantastic in... Um, allowing us to spend some time and and I I really did you know I researched the Victorian era I wondered you know what this woman would be like living in the Victorian eras with the skills that she has with the personal history that she has and her relationship with her father and her twin brother and how she survives without her mother and father and, and what she wants in life and so from there you know that became the groundwork and 
then she has, you know, love interests like every other person and friendships. And so as we went along the game, I just was able to build a, another human being, which I feel as my my job as an actress, that's what it is. So you mentioned that you could, you, you know, you studied the Victorian era. Now, if you could take anything, just if you can bring back or revive something from the Victorian era, what would it be and why? My favorite, one of my favorite things in life, and this is very, this makes me very similar to Evie, are handwritten letters. I feel really? Like, wow. I feel like they are dead. And anybody that writes me a handwritten letter, I just absolutely love. Because I feel like people don't write anymore. They text or they email or they tweet or they Facebook, which are all lovely things. But handwritten letters are, there's something special in that. It's just like so a personal like to touch, yeah. Back. You got to dip the quill pen in the ink, yeah. too, and do that, all that? Yeah, there yeah, you go. Go all the way. Yeah. <laughs> Get those love letters going out to the Oh, website. They're better. <laughs> Definitely. Well, you, you, were, you were mentioned Evie so Ubisoft, uh, the makers of the Assassin's Creed Syndicate. We're talking to Victoria Atkin, the voice, of Evie Fry, the voice of Evie Fry. And a lot of the information about these games actually gets kept under wraps before the release. Were you actually at all surprised just how much of a code of silence there was before the release of Assassin's Creed Syndicate? Well, I don't know. Like, well, yeah, I suppose, you know, they didn't announce me as Evie for a little while. And um, I... But I, you know, Paul and I were in this, <laughs> in what we called the padded cell, you know, doing the motion capture for a very, very long time before it came out, you know, the other week. So, you know, for me, it was my whole life, all of, the, all of this year. So it, it, it kind of didn't matter that it wasn't in the public eye because I, I was able to breathe a little bit. But I was doing it, you know, six days a week. So, I mean, you mentioned Paul, and the, one of the many things I love about Assassin's Creed Syndicate, I've played the game, it's, it's wonderful, uh, is just the chemistry that you and him have as Evie and Jacob, and, you know, yeah. two who, who know they're, they're twins. So, did you and Paul do anything special to create that kind of sibling chemistry before or during the development of the game? Um, I think Paul and I are very much similar to our characters in, in lots of ways. Um, and Paul and I, you know, socialized a lot. He was very, he was great because he's, he's, he lives in Canada. So when I, um, was cast from LA and flew over, obviously I didn't know anybody and he, he was very good at welcoming me and I just spent a lot of time with his family and him and, you know, we, we, we've spent a lot of time together. So I think we established that and, uh, and yeah, just lots of socializing. He cooked me dinner a lot. He's a very good chef. Nice. Oh, what was, wow. What was yeah, your favorite thing he uh, made for you? I don't know. Well, I, I really like healthy food, so he's he's good at that. But he's the great thing about Paul is that he goes to like the farmers market, talks to the farmers, and you know gets everything like proper. He does like an Evie move on his cooking. Wow, <laughs> very awesome. stealth. Yeah, I'm more I'm more like Jacob in the kitchen, and he's very much like Evie. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the only. That's probably the only place where we differ. That's <laughs> great. Well, a lot of voice actors and actresses actually don't do the motion capture for their own characters in these games. So do you feel like you being able to do that with Evie made you really be able to actually become Evie and become more with that character? Yeah, I mean, every facial gesture she does, every eye roll, every smirk and laugh, that's my facial expressions as well. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, people that personally know me you can see me in Evie straight away there's lots of things about the way she walks and the way she you know smiles at Jacob or you know rolls her eyes or I like to be able to add things like uh I feel like Evie's 
Evie tries to help people a lot, you know, and uh, just there's little moments where she picks up Charles Dickens' papers or she will kind of flirt a little bit with Alexander Graham Bell and obviously she has a spoiler thing <laughs> with Henry. Um, so, yeah, she... Um, I, I feel like it was nice to be able to bring, you know, all of my preparation and, and what this woman was like to the whole soul of her. And, and I think it makes a difference. I really do think it makes a difference when you have the, the actress doing the whole lot rather than just the voice. Oh, exactly. And the one cool thing about Evie, and it's actually the most uh, talked about thing too, is, you know, she is really the first female assassin you can play as and just, you know... As a, a woman who is not only just you know an actress and voice actress, motion capture, where do you see the industry going as far as female characters going forward? With especially since uh, Assassin's Creed Syndicate's release, I think, and I hope, you know, I like to be quite didactic and you know be the forefront of things that are changing, and it's nice to to be part of this. Obviously, there were female assassins before, but Evie is a, you know, a a major, you know, shift in, in being able to play her on the new generation games, uh, next generation even. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I think this is only good for women in video games and, and women in general, you know, for television and film. And, um, you know, there's some, there's some great things that I looked up before, Lara Croft and all of these really strong women, Catwoman mm -hmm. and all these things. And I only, I only think it's just going to strengthen it. And it's, it's really great to have this character who's not, you know, overly sexualized or anything like that in this game, in a huge franchise, and showing that, you know, in this case, you know, they're twins and they're equally as powerful. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. We're talking to Victoria Atkin, the voice of Evie Fry on Assassin's Creed Syndicate, which you can get at your favorite outlets right now. As a matter of fact, now that you've gotten a taste of the nerd world a little, a little bit there, Victoria, do you have an eye on any of these superhero or comic book movie roles, or maybe even getting a chance to play Evie in a future Assassin's Creed movie down the line? Oh, I would absolutely, I'd be honored to do that. You know, I would, I think the fans would enjoy that as well, and I think to play Evie in an Assassin's Creed sequel would be uh, a dream, a dream come true, uh, to extend what I've done in the motion capture studio to the, to a film, you know, cinematic audience. But uh, of course, yeah, I love, I love Catwoman. I love, you know, Lara Croft. I love all of these, all of these amazing female characters. And uh, I think there's, only, there's only going to be more of them. I think there's a, there's a need for them, and, and, uh, and a want for them. Oh, exactly. I, mean, I could see Laura Croft. I know. Couldn't I, you? I can, I can see I can hear it in the voice, and it's just, I can see Laura Croft happen. Live action I, movie coming out. Just saying, casting people. Just saying. Just, just oh, saying. wow. Yeah, you keep getting that out there. I'm loving this voice. Oh, we'll, we'll tweet it out. We'll, we'll sing it from the hilltops, Victoria, that you should be uh, Laura Croft. Okay, good. Yeah. I think it's about <laughs> time for a new Tomb Raider movie. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Especially with somebody, you know, talented like you are. Um, you know, when you're, I was playing as Evie, one thing I noticed is that she's very much the stealthier of the two. A lot of our missions, I think, are more stealth-based, where Jacob's more rush in, you know, build the rooks up as the gang and just fight, fight, fight. What's your favorite places to sneak around in the game? What are some of your favorite missions to do uh, as Evie? Ooh, um, well, I don't want to spoil anything for people because it's not out on PC yet, but um, I really love Sequence 9. Uh, around Buckingham Palace. That's oh, yes! Fun. Yeah, that's really fun. I, I enjoyed doing that. And, um, I yeah, that's really fun. I also love um, with the, you know, when you, with the children and the workhouses, 
and meeting Clara and Florence Nightingale, those those were fun. They were really fun missions to do. And those girls were, were great to work with. Okay, Victoria, you also have a couple of movies that you're currently working on right now. I know you probably can't reveal too much, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your upcoming projects? Yeah, I just uh, finished shooting a movie called Haunted in New York, um, where I play kind of like a Virginia Woolf type character. She's she's uh, she's called Beatrice, and she yeah she's living in New York as a as a Brit. And um, yeah, I can't say too much, but it's it's cool. It's a psychological thriller. Um, so it'll be fun and I hope it does very well on the independent circuit and the festivals next year. So that will be good. Um, yeah, I have my book out, which is fun. I've just been working with, uh, a studio in LA to record the audio book. So if people aren't too tired of my voice after Assassin's Creed, they can listen to that. <laughs> and what's the, the title of the book so people can go out and get oh, it? Oh, the book's called London Love. It's on Amazon. Oh, perfect. Perfect. So where can people reach yeah. on social media? Social media, I'm on Twitter, at Victoria Atkin, and the same on Instagram, at Victoria Atkin. And um, I've got a Facebook page as well, which is just my name, Victoria Atkin. Well, if you haven't grabbed it yet, Assassin's Creed Syndicate is available on PS4 and Xbox One right now. As a matter of fact, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer, like Victoria said, on PC, but not too much longer. November the 19th is when you're going to be able to pick that up. The voice of Evie Fry herself is Victoria Atkin. Victoria, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you very much, guys. It was lovely talking to you. So, James, is any ever a time where we're walking around the con or I'm at your house or you're at my apartment and you feel a... Cold rush of steel in your back. Just know that is my knife coming from my gauntlet. That is very assassin-like of you. I, yeah. I appreciate. I mean, if, if there's an honorable death, that that's it. That is it. But then Jameson will want his revenge upon me. Ah, and thus it is born. Assassin's Creed, Jameson. <laughs> Just picture him jump down. Picture him jumping off couches and like landing to a like a. Pop mountain of stuffed animals. Although that takes a lot of commitment. I mean, there's robes and hidden yeah. pockets, and I can't sew that well. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you can't sew for shit. You let alone take a fucking non-shaky picture. Yeah, that's a good point. But, uh, again, thanks, Victoria Agatha, for coming on. I mean, wow, dude. Just I mean, The thing is, is the whole motion capture thing, we didn't you know nope. see anything about her doing the motion capture. We knew she was the voice. But we were doing our research. We didn't see anything about her doing motion capture. But the, to to be able to take a, a, a character like Evie and build it from the ground up and say, this is my character. Like, this is mine. You know? And she can own this. And I'm not saying other voice actors and actresses can't. But she can really own this character and this performance because she did the, the motion capture as well. And like she said, every facial expression, every eye roll, that's her. She can own this completely. And that's the thing. And then j the voice, the eye rolls, the facial expressions, the whole movements. Like again, just to be able to take, you know, as she mentioned, there were other female assassins. However, Evie was really the first main yeah, character. Yeah, not in the main table. line, right. Yeah. And for her just to, you know, saying, you know, she studied the whole Victorian era. And she, I, thought, I think I, I find it kind of, admirable that she would bring back the whole handwritten notes and everything else i love know. that can you can you just see her you know like in one of those in one of those videos where somebody's writing a letter in quill and they're narrating with, with, it as they write it writing it by gas lamp 
Yeah, exactly. So I, I could totally see that. That should be like a Victoria a, a Victoria Atkin presents, and where she's just writing a letter and narrates it, <laughs> and make that like a YouTube series. Tell me, people wouldn't watch that. It's kind of like you know this SNL deep thoughts with Jack Handy, but it's her just handwritten letters. Well, like the thank you notes from Jimmy Fallon that Jimmy yes, Fallon does. That's what it is. The, the exactly like that. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to Victoria Atkin for coming on and talking about Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Be sure to pick up this game because it's by far one of my favorite games of the Assassin's Creed series. Outside of the first one, but again, I love the whole Victorian era. It's fantastic. Go pick it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, hit, her, hit her up on Twitter at Victoria Atkin. We're on Twitter as well at Down Nerdy 757 Also, I'm on Twitter at Merc with one R. Mr. Witham. I'm at James Ace Witham. Don't forget to find us on Facebook as well. Facebook.com slash Down and Nerdy. Always. Go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Why? Because our new shows are posted first on our website. You Not only that, but you can access information to our Amazon store. If you haven't purchased a copy of Assassin's Creed Syndicate on PS4 or Xbox One, you can also pre-order it on PC right there on our website. Click on the This Week section. You'll find a link right there at the bottom. It'll take you right to Amazon. Safe, secure, get your copy now. Exactly, exactly. And that's the speaking of Amazon. We have a free 30-day trial for people who go to our website and sign up for Amazon Prime. And by doing so, you help out us and you help out the podcast as well. So be sure to sign up for Amazon Prime for a free 30-day trial. Again, Facebook.com slash DownNerdy. We're all over Twitter, social media. And send us your fan questions as well. You can also call and dial a number. It's 757-512-8229. Leave us your fan questions or comments there. And who knows? Maybe we'll air them on the show. But with that being said, one more final thank you to Victoria Atkin for coming on today. And as I always leave you every week with these fine words, pray to safe comic book reading, always bang on board your comics, and watch your back. <laughs>